0: You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hello again, people. I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you are listening to episode 149 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Wella, 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 huh? Tell me
1: more. <laughs> That's from Greece. Hey, wow. I didn't even have to sing it, and you picked up on that. yeah. I'm- have you been watching Greece lately so or much. that was just on it. the top of your Everything.
0: mind all the time just every single wow. day no uh, i have seen like a third of that movie I wasn't allowed to watch that movie growing up, and for some reason, I have yet to rebel in my adult <laughs> years from it's not that, that
1: great principle. of a movie. So,
0: oh wow, I'm that just impressed you pulled the quote fired. out. Fired. Okay, people are gonna people are gonna send in and tell you you're wrong. I'm guaranteeing it right now. You said Greece is not that good of a movie. It's it's my personal opinion, Trevor. Okay. Right. We we can disagree. Okay, well, I mean I don't have a brand <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, okay, so. Uh, Today we had a new guest on. We'll get into that in just a minute. So a couple quick things. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. If you're not subscribed, uh, don't wait any longer. Just do it. It's free uh, on any of our platforms. You can find uh, on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, all of it. And I don't know if you guys know this, but if you give a review, it actually helps um, boost really our appearance on all those platforms. So if you give us a review, it helps more people actually see it, and it also means a lot to us. And then also, if you want to just keep up with what we're doing and the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Pure Desire PDMI. And also, if you like to consume content uh, via video, we have these episodes now up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. All right, so um, Nick, we sat down with um, first. It was is Bob Vandermeer is here with us, um, and he introduced us to um, a very um, educated and uh, really an awesome uh, lady that we just met, Juliana Smith. And we talked, man, we talked about a lot of things, but specifically we honed in on sexual abuse in the Bible and and really still in the culture of the church.
1: Yeah, what I liked about our conversation is that we see the need to talk about things that often the church hasn't talked about. And, you know, we're aware of it in our modern culture of the the taboo topic that sex is, and we don't maybe hear much about pornography, but it's really interesting to hear from a a scholar who says, this is actually what faith communities have been doing all the way through history, that when these uncomfortable passages that are in our Bible, I mean, they're there in Genesis and Judges and King David's life, we just kind of gloss over them or skip over them. And so to, to have an academic who's studying into it say, this has plagued the church for a long, long time. It's it's actually useful to me uh, to look into that and hear this isn't anything new, but yeah. there are still things that need to be done to, to change a culture of silence and mm-hmm. learning to have hard conversations. I think that's what a lot of today was about.
0: And I think the conversation was uh, really beneficial. Um, the first few questions, you may feel like, are we going anywhere? Uh, is this applicable to me? But uh, we really do talk about... Um, historically, what it's been like um, in history, and then really move into what we can do today. So I think this episode is going to be really good, and we hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the episode. Bob, welcome back. We're glad that you're here. And then we have a new guest, Juliana. We're super glad that you're here.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for being here. Uh, So a few months back, um, and Bob, you're good at this. You'll reach out and be like, hey, I've got an idea or a thought. You're an idea guy, and I like that about you. And you're like, hey, I have this friend, Juliana. She'd be great to have on the podcast. And of course, I immediately go, okay, cool. What? Like, what are we going to talk about? Uh, Because I have friends I wish were on the podcast that maybe might not have things that they would say that would be valuable, but you told us about uh, really the perspective that you come from, Juliana, and uh, obviously you said you're awesome too. So it's like, okay, cool. We'll have her on. Um, But we're going to talk about really what you're studying and what you're pursuing right now in your doctoral studies. Um, It's super poignant, I think, today. Um, And so let's just kind of start with that. You ready to go? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, since this is your first time, we usually just want to give people an opportunity to introduce themselves a little bit, and then, so tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then what are you studying, and what topic are we going to be jumping into?
2: Okay. Um, I'm Juliana Smith. I'm from the Midwest, from the great state of Ohio. and Ohio. Uh,
0: your, your bio did say the Ohio State. The Ohio <laughs> okay. State yep. University. Yes, right.
2: I went to the Ohio State <laughs> University. Um, and uh, yeah, I I went to but I went to a small Quaker school in Northeast Ohio, and I was inspired by some great faculty members to learn and to ask good questions, and then use whatever tools I had at my disposal to answer those questions. And that's a really good setup for going into doctoral studies, where they throw you into the deep end of the pool and say, here's all the information you could ever want. And like, you know, do something cool with that, figure it out, rearrange the ideas, ask different questions and see where your questions take you. And um, my questions eventually led me to a Near Eastern Languages and Cultures program at um, University of California, Los Angeles where I currently live and study, um, and I study the Hebrew Bible and its reception.
0: So explain reception then, because I don't think, I I mean, when you first said that, I was like, I think I know what you're talking about. I've been to a few wedding receptions Yes, right, does this include drinking (laughs) and dancing? (laughs) Buffet, please. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, yeah, all of the above. Okay, good. Um, No, so a lot of early study, um, early modern studies in the Bible or focused on the question of what did the Bible mean in its origin? And that's a really important question. Um, And as we, as in the scholarly community, started digging into that, we discovered that those answers were elusive. But what we had a little bit um, easier time doing is figuring out how different communities throughout time interacted with the Hebrew Bible? how did they understand it uh, in their own cultural context and how did that mm-hmm. come through in their writings about the text and commentary? Um, and and that's kind of, you know, the origins question is really important, uh, but we're all doing interpretation mm-hmm. and we can locate ourselves in that interpretive history. Even in our current era and um, mm. culture, so I I was interested in in, in that question.
1: Uh, so, it sounds like reception history is basically how did different cultures throughout time interpret the same scripture that we're reading? Yeah. And what did they make of it? Yeah. And and learning from different people's perspective.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: And so in that, in that unique field, we know that what connected us to you today is you're looking in particular at passages and references throughout Scripture to sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, primarily related to women, but as we were talking before the episode, it's not confined only to women. Yeah. It can also be to- directed towards men. And that's a pretty unique area of study when it comes to Scripture. So what, what prompted you and led you towards looking at these passages and references towards sexual abuse in the Bible?
2: Yeah, so this was a—it was a long journey to to get to this point, um, but different points in that journey started, you know, directing me um, in a more focused way towards the question of sexual abuse. So I grew up in a good evangelical church, and we were told to read the Bible, read the Bible dutifully, and as a child, I was unleashed on the Bible, uh, and, and maybe uh, we should— give children guidance when they go to it, because there are some some instances in the Bible that aren't uh, maybe uh, PG, G. Yeah, not even
1: PG-13, some of them. Yeah,
2: and so like some of my earliest memories of being troubled by the Bible, um, in middle school I remember reading the Judges 19 and 20 account of the concubine who gets Cut up and sent to the tribes, and I thought, "Oh, that sounds uh, that sounds really violent." <laughs> and Brutal. this is this is my holy scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And not having the tools at that point to engage that, I, I, you know, like most people probably do in their churches, set that aside, yeah. and moved on. Uh, and then when I got to college, I had a wonderful. Hebrew Bible professor who brought some of those texts to light Mm. Um, and not in a way to push people away from the Bible, but to get them to more critically engage this text that they thought they knew. Mm. Um, And so I started, that's where like my scholarly interaction with with the Bible started Uh, and and. Since that point, I've had interaction. I had um, an instance where I was living in a home while I was studying abroad, and the woman was abused while I was mm. living there. And then, of course, as I'm sure all the listeners are aware, we're living in this Me Too moment, uh, and you know these questions and issues of abuse of women just keep coming mm-hmm. up. And um, the Bible is not silent on these issues, but it's not clear in its moral assessment Mm -hmm. of these issues. And so, um, yeah, I just thought it was worth uh, another look, and it was worth looking at how religious communities, both Jewish and Christian, have dealt with these troubling Mm -hmm. texts in Holy Scripture. Yeah.
3: yeah. When you and I first started talking about this, and this was just on a Sunday after church, when you we were stacking just casual chairs, casual conversation with, about, about sexual abuse yeah, yeah, in Scripture. Yeah. yeah. For pieces, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. While, while stacking chairs. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I ended up watching other people stack chairs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, one of the passages we talked about that really kicked off the conversation was talking about David and Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you know, you had told me when you kind of first started approaching this idea and topic, that that one really kind of set some stuff off for you. Yeah. What was that like?
2: Yeah, so I was at a lecture, um, and the the speaker um, highlighted a commentary uh, dealing with the text that, and I would call it a modern pro-David commentary, one that doesn't want to question uh David or his place in, um, Israelite history. And the commentary condemned Bathsheba. Mm. It was written by a woman. It was written in the early two thousands. And, um, it seemed as if David's moral failings were Bathsheba's fault. Mm. And I thought, Oh, like this isn't, this isn 't some you know victorian era commentary or some mm, a commentary coming from a more strongly patriarchal mm-hmm. culture than our own uh, and this is widely accepted in in scholarly circles and i thought well i i don 't I don't know about that when mm-hmm. I read the text, I see some really yeah. disturbing power imbalances here, and when I look at the Hebrew of it. I think it's ambiguous on how we should be interpreting this sexual interaction. Mm. Um, it's not clear-cut. It certainly, could we suggest that Bathsheba maybe had ill intent? Maybe. Right. Uh, but we can also read this as abuse of power, yeah. and I think more clearly read it as abuse of power. Um, by a, a political leader and military leader. <laughs>
3: yeah. By a man after God's own heart. Right. By a man
2: after God's own heart, exactly.
3: Yeah,
1: Yeah. Um, um, yeah go ahead. I say, it seems like that's why th- this topic is so important, because yep. we're given yep. these stories in Scripture, and we wish the author had then given us 20 more verses of commentary, and right. why now, yeah. and right. what now, but yeah. But so much of the Old Testament is just, there's a story, and yeah. we move on. And I think... Most of us um, did what, what you're describing, Juliana, that we read these stories and we kind of go, huh, that's weird, next chapter. And, right. and we just don't include it in our teaching, we don't include yeah. it in our training, they're, but they're there and they're kind of mm. left up to, I don't know, to not have any purpose. But I, I think what you're trying to say is, how does this fit in the overall structure of what God does say in scripture and exactly. how should we faithfully interpret what's going on here? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is one of the one of my questions that I don't deal with uh, so much in my own research, but as a, as a as a person of faith, as some a member of a church, um, in a in a church that values um, the Bible and its mm-hmm. place in the Christian tradition, how I'm I'm actively sorting through what am I supposed to tell people in the church about. these these scriptures. And um, I'm doing a lot of research on like the philology and the nuts and bolts of the syntax and Mm -hmm. word usage. Gosh, I'm
0: so thankful there are people (laughs) out there like you, (laughs) because that is just not me.
2: But at the end of the day, this is a text Mm -hmm. that my community really values, and they may want my input Mm -hmm. on what the heck are we supposed mm-hmm. to do with right. a chapter like yeah. Genesis 34 and the rape of Dina yeah. or Dinah?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, and I mean, if you're listening to this so far, this maybe sounds a little different than any Pure Desire podcast you've listened to thus far, but I think really the the attempt, um, really the hope for this conversation is to dive into this to then see what we do about it today mm-hmm. um, and understanding scripture and understanding the prevalence of, you um, sexual brokenness and specifically in the form of abuse today. So uh, if you're kind of confused so far into the episode, just understand that's where we're headed. Um, but let's kind of continue on. Uh, in your studies, what have you found? Like in the research and and what are some things that maybe jump out to you that you think some people should know about?
2: Yeah, I think that one of the things that um, I've seen in reading the through text dealing with Um, later texts dealing with the chapters on sexual violence is that um, ancient readers' response to the text is maybe not so different from our own. Mm -hmm. So um, in, you know, I think about a text like... uh, Genesis 38, which is uh, about Judah and Tamar, which might not properly fit into the category of sexual abuse, but there's some sexual impropriety in there. So when Josephus is retelling the story of Genesis, Josephus is an early uh, commenter on the Bible, and he rewrites the history— What does he do with a text like this? Mm -hmm. Well, he just leaves it out. It's a little uncomfortable. We can tell the story of Genesis without going Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. this particular instance. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that in other commentaries as well later. I don't know if you've looked at children's Bibles recently, but they often do not include any of these texts. Yeah. Um,
0: and as a parent of young kids, sometimes I'm like, "Thank you, like, <laughs> yeah." I don't. I, don't I really don't. I'm that. not prepared God, to talk to talk my kid you. about this. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to have to explain this.
3: This is to... why I bought this Bible. Exactly. Right? Yeah. exactly. I don't yeah. want to have to explain this interaction with donkeys at bedtime.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um another thing that we see in the uh the commentaries, and I'm thinking of like some 19th century English commentaries written by women is that they um they do what I would categorize as victim blaming. Um so what was the woman doing that mm. led to this abuse? It must be
0: her that brought this on.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um we see another tactic that we see commentators use to like make sense of what's going on in these texts is to um, make the perpetrator of the violence completely other. Hmm. They're not our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Neighbors don't do this. Yeah. They're monsters. Mm-hmm. They have a history of uh, bad behavior, so we're going to add in some details about other bad things that Mm -hmm. these individuals did in order to make sense of the sexual violence that's recorded in the Hebrew Bible, if you knew what their people were like. And I think that these are all ways that we see in modern times that we... Mm -hmm. Try to rationalize or deal with sexual violence in our own communities. Um, you know, watch watch the nightly news and see how they talk about rapists and in that context, it, it, they're monsters. They're mm-hmm. other. They're not. They're not members of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think we should really interrogate that interpretation, not not justify, mm-hmm. but think critically about how we talk about and think about sexual violence.
0: Something real quick, and just because I want to make sure that we're clear on the language, you've mentioned it a couple times now, sexual violence. Is there a difference between sexual abuse and sexual violence? And like, If so, basically, why do you use that language?
2: Yeah, um, I'm pulling my language from... Um, I'm trying to use the most general terms, Got it. Mm-hmm. yeah, because you have different types of Total. Uh, sexual violence. You can, you know, if we want to like get into mm-hmm. the nuts and bolts, <laughs> we have rape, we have gang rape, we have abuse of children, mm-hmm. um, and all of them exposure, get, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so.
0: yeah. I just want to clear that up. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's good. So, um, I
3: I think I heard the, in the three things you were saying that one of them is silence. Yeah. So here's a text, and instead of addressing it, dealing with it, we just move on to the next, and there's silence.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, that another one is victim blaming, that this happened to them because they whatever it is. Right. Uh, and the third being to villainize or is monsterize is that a word? Can we mm-hmm. say monsterize? Yeah. Like okay. Yeah. Uh, or monsterize uh, the villainize to you know the 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 perpetrator of it. Making it so it's not our cultural issue, Mm -hmm. but it is their cultural issue that is invading our life somehow. Which
0: is really just passing the buck. Like, I don't want to take responsibility to have to be a part of a solution. Therefore, I push blame
3: away. Yeah, and, and it sounds like all three of those are either silence, victim blaming, or villainizing. In none of those do I hear someone saying, wow, how do I work with this text and find responsibility in this?
2: Right, right. Um, and you know, and I, and I struggle with like, what, how are we supposed one, are we supposed to talk about these texts Mm -hmm. in the church? Are are they always Mm -hmm. useful? And I, and I would say probably most of the time we're really good to pass on a Mm -hmm. sermon dealing with Mm -hmm. any of these texts, Mm -hmm. um, not good general audience material. Um, but, uh, but... I think um, if we open our eyes and we look at some of these very high profile sexual abuse cases that have come out of the church, Mm -hmm. we might uh, benefit from thinking about our tradition's own, Mm -hmm. like the history of sexual abuse that we find. Um, and locating ourselves somewhere in that conversation.
1: Well, and I think that's why, on the other hand, this is great audience material for churches and leaders to consider, because I think we fall into the same trap, and it's the theme that I'm hearing you kind of talk about, that we create this us versus them. There's monsters that do these things, but that's not us. And even what you said about that commentary being like a very pro-David commentary I've seen that a lot in church history and even in the church today where it's like, well, this person's a saint or they're in the Bible. And so therefore they cannot have flaws and faults and character deficiencies. And we train people that way, which is the very thing that pertinent to our work at Pure Desire, I think we battle against because people are like, well, I'm not that. Whatever they define a sex addict or a porn addict as, whatever that is in their mind, they are not that. That's an other. That's a monster. And they're like, well, yeah, I struggle and I look at things I should and I found myself crossing lines. I promised I never would, but I'm not that. Yeah. Versus what if in our culture and our homes and our churches we were able to teach people about just the brokenness of life and the mm-hmm. messiness of that we can be both a follower of Christ and someone with deep personal issues. We can exactly. be both a person of faith and someone that's a perpetuator of sexual violence because of other brokenness in our life. And yeah, if we don't allow people to see that we're all this Kind of both end conglomeration yeah it, it just perpetuates i think what we're talking about in the sexual violence because we don't deal with it we just push it away or ignore
0: it which i think is the reason why it's in scripture like I, if i can read that david was a man after god's own heart yet also was i, I mean for all purposes might have been a rapist mm-hmm. and definitely mm-hmm. a murderer and yeah. an adulterer and yeah like if that guy can still be the one that god uses so mightily for sure he can use me. Like, Mm -hmm. there's got to be... that's just the way I see it the more I read scripture the more I understand brokenness when you see those moments of brokenness I feel like those are things that we should have like a heart connection to in Mm -hmm. scripture because these people are broken like me and it gives like genuinely for me it gives me hope that God Mm -hmm. can use me in my life because if he can use really messed up people that if we're keeping a scale have done far worse than I've ever quote unquote done which that can be a whole nother theological Mm -hmm. conversation Uh, but even on a scale like that god can for sure use me then if that's so for me i think that that's why in a lot of ways it's there
3: well i mean like it's i I appreciate that it's narrative and so like in those narratives to not dogmatize any of that Mm -hmm. you know but to say that the narrative is still in there whether culturally in or historically they did anything helpful with it yeah yeah um isn't the point but it's still there Mm -hmm. and and that that does seem important because there's i i don't know starting to, I, we can we can go down yes, a lot of yes we can right <laughs> uh, uh so maybe i'll try to reel it back uh it seems like our our approach in the church is still be quiet about it victim blame or say it's somebody else's problem um as opposed to us doing something with it but those stories are still there and those stories are still happening in our churches currently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like people are still like um, being the victims of sexual violence. There are still people that are perpetrating it. Like you were saying, there are still yep. people that are just like, yeah, it happened, but we're just gonna sweep it under the rug. And for at the very least to say, their narrative is there in scripture and our narrative, in a sense, still needs to be there mm-hmm. so we can do something different. With totally, that.
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's part of the story. Yeah. And if we don't tell the whole story, we're we are missing something. So, Juliana, we're already getting into this a little bit, and hopefully we didn't answer your question, but as you've done this research and are really diving into this area, what are the similarities you see to the church today and the culture that we live in, and what you've discovered about all these stories of sexual violence in the Bible?
2: Yeah, I think—well, I think we have we have really gotten into a lot of uh, what I, I was—the direction I was thinking about going here, but um, but silences. I would say silence is um, the enemy of the church in the this regard Bob. and and you see and you see silence in um in the reception history and and then, like Bob was talking about the monsterization of of perpetrators, the othering they couldn't you see that there's this real Reticence to take any type of responsibility for the the perpetrators being within the bounds of mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we can put them solidly outside, yep. and then like go through a laundry list of all of their other crimes, uh, then then we can make this not our problem. Yeah. And and I fear that's what we often do uh, within the church—that we're reticent to see abuse, and when it's finally exposed, often by the hands of a persistent media, yeah, um, it- then we like throw up our hands and say, "Well, you know, this person's always been X, Y, Z, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and that's just." that's really damaging. I imagine it's damaging for the victims mm-hmm. to watch a community completely throw up their hands and say, not us. Mm-hmm. We didn't know.
1: Well, it, it seems like it's where these two things kind of work together, this idea that, that it's us versus them, either a sinner or a saint. You're either the, the David of the Holy Bible, or you're a, a sex addict, pervert, you can't, mm-hmm. it's either or. Yeah. And because of that, then we can't take responsibility or ownership if someone among us is discovered to be a perpetrator because then it's like, we're committing the crime with them. Yeah. Right. Versus if, if we can allow that there's complexity in people, there's brokenness, and and yet they are still a part of the community, that that doesn't necessarily mean the whole community is nothing but you know violent perpetrators of, yeah. of these things. So it's like somehow those two things really they, they go together in a negative way. And it seems like for us to grow and change, yeah. they have to both shift together also.
2: Yeah, and your guys' own work, and I'm gonna ask you a question now, do if it. I can turn the tables here. Um, do you, um, how does that come out in your own work where you see very complex people where they're like leading? It, it does that come out often when you're working with people
1: yeah. Well, that's what I like about what we're saying, because even for those that end up like in counseling or in a group, I think initially there's this denial of, well, I'm not really an addict or I, yeah, that happened once, but I'm not. And you can see or hear them even internally fighting with, well, that's not who I am mm-hmm. because we've created these categories. And, and I did it in my own life. It's like, if I admit that I have an addiction to pornography, that means like, I'm admitting I'm a monster and, yeah. and I can't do that. And so through the counseling and the group I was in to understand that that didn't make me some monster. It it helped me admit the pattern that I was stuck in Mm -hmm. and what it was going to take to change. You know, and I think we just see that multiplied over and over with people that because we have these categories, we Mm -hmm. don't, it's hard for people to allow themselves to get the healing and help they need. Because first you have to admit you need the help. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's what we work with is just trying to help people break through that denial and the rationalization and the minimization that we do, especially sexually, because of the the personal nature, the private nature, the the shame that can be associated with anything sexual. Mm-hmm. That all of that creates this hesitancy to admit that yeah, yeah that's me. Because yeah. then it, it's like I'm saying, well, I'm a monster. I don't belong in the church. I don't belong in the community because yeah. I'm this other. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's. It's, I think, our mission to say we want to help people see you can love God and be in a church and be yeah. addicted to sex. Mm-hmm. And, and th- mm-hmm. the one doesn't violate or you know, yeah. disqualify you from the other. Yeah. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's bring into balance that we want to help you find healing, so that as you follow God and are a member of this church, you're getting healthier.
0: Right. But you have to be willing to acknowledge that need first. And you can be an abuser and still be a valued member of God's family. You yeah. can still be a redeemed saint. I think. Um, I just was thinking a lot about this as far as the culture in the church, why we do this. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of churches, and just I'll just speak from my experience, churches I've been in. Um, tend to keep bigger things like this or other failings of leaders or people in the church quiet because, and this has been, again, my experience, that we're basically trying to protect the ministry of the church, quote unquote, that the church can't minister to people if they see how broken and messy we are. It's not on their Instagram account. Right. No, no, for sure. It's like, it's just your most glowing moments, right? That's what we do. And I think that um, something you were saying earlier, Bob, I think that we avoid messy because clean, we think looks better and is more mm-hmm. inviting. But I'm gonna be honest with you, uh, if no one in the hospital is sick, that's the wrong hospital for me. Like if you're, not, if you're only admitting clean people, I'm mm-hmm. not clean, like I can't come in. And so I think that it's this cultural thing that actually counteracts what the church can do. Yeah. So in protecting our ministry, we act clean and those mm-hmm. and us and them type mm-hmm. of mentality. Mm-hmm. What's actually funny is that if we would open up the conversation and really show that the church is messy and has a lot of broken people, Mm -hmm. more people would actually be attracted to it and your Mm -hmm. ministry would actually grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what our ministry really tries to do as well, is not only help people find freedom and sexual wholeness, but also understand that once we can talk about a topic specifically sex, sexual brokenness, Mm -hmm. sexual integrity, all of that. Then you'll find that more people will be coming to your church or having conversations with people at your church because it's not, as you were saying, a silent issue anymore. Safer. Right. Totally. Yeah, yeah.
2: So here's another question. This is something. I yes, like that, this is great. <laughs> and that I see when I look at the Hebrew scriptures, on, and particularly these passages, that we find the victims are largely silent. Mm-hmm. Um, almost, now I'm going through it. I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge here, possibly completely silent, um, and sometimes unnamed, uh, and and then when you look at the reception history, that's maintained. Mm-hmm. The silence of the victim is maintained, and uh, it's hard to write about, you know, from a scholarly perspective. The silence, mm-hmm. like you can note it, yep. this is a big gap. Yep. Um, But I'm wondering if there's anything in there in that silence that we can, um, you know, learn or interrogate or question as we think about victims within our own communities. Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah. uh, Great question. Uh, I think we see this a lot when we have um, a sexual addict you know, either start attending a group or come for counseling and they begin to see some healing and, and some momentum and recovery that uh, that within their communities that they can be championed. In other mm. words, like we, we put them up in front and we say, like, look how far this person has come. And a lot of times in championing those people, and it's great, we want to encourage them. We want yep. to say, you know, great job moving from here to here right. and heading there still. Uh, but in doing that, we end up sometimes still missing the people that have been wounded in the process and not um, either validating or giving them a voice or giving them a place to even communicate if they want what their experience has been and also to give them support and help and healing. I think that's one of the things that uh, largely is missing within sexual addiction recovery programs is giving the support and help to the victim, but Mm -hmm. then also not championing oftentimes the perpetrator overtly overtly. Yeah. Well, and, and just to the, to the point where there's, where there's an imbalance in care. correct.
0: Yes. Because yeah. the
3: only reason those people were saying, Hey, great job, you know, you used to do this and now you're not doing that. You're doing this instead. The only reason we're doing that is because we see value in this person and we see redemption in their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it, it, it's prettier sometimes to do that, uh, than it is, or cleaner sometimes yeah, to do that 100%. than it is to say, Hey, let's also support, and encourage and and also be a part of the redemptive story of this person over here that's been dramatically yeah. violated or wounded mm. or broken by this other, and um, the discrepancy yeah, between. But them now and, they have found hope and freedom yeah, and
1: joy and, right. yeah. And I think it goes back to something you said maybe in our pre-show time, but that whole idea of the power imbalance. You know, mm-hmm. the scriptures that are coming to mind for me, most of them involve a woman who, mm-hmm. in that Hebrew culture, would have had very little standing, value, power. Um, in a story with a man who is usually an elder in the community or a political figure or someone in power. And so I I think the truth is that those are the people that wrote the stories, either that person themselves or someone that knew them. And, And so the victim doesn't have the power or the platform to really get heard. And and that's something I look at and say that's that's what we need to change because we can see the deficiency of that. Mm-hmm. That if someone who is not in a role of authority or having any power cannot be heard, and then silence kind of is their only go-to. Right. It's like just go away and hope they don't notice me. So I think for us to be people that that listen, that support, that that and if if we are, you know, if God, whether we're male or female, has put us in a position of authority or power or where we're over someone of recognizing that part of the way I use that power is to leverage it mm-hmm. for the good of those that don't. And yeah. so that they're heard and they're valued. And um, otherwise, I think
3: silence just will continue to be the option. Right. Yeah, it seems so lopsided. Uh, I'm just thinking back like, and I just, I'm sorry, I can't think of a better example than this. But like looking back to World War II, I think very rarely would we see like uh, a guard from a concentration camp being platformed and like... Um, you know, uh, turned into a hero to, as this transformation from where they were to where they are now. But we do see stories about survivors from concentration camps or from situations like that. And that, and that we look at that and we're like, okay, that maybe is also lopsided because that guard also has a story. They also have their own narrative. Mm-hmm. But it's so weird that in, that in this context of what we're talking about, it's the opposite of that almost always. Yep. Like the, yeah. the, the survivors don't often have voices. And when they do, it isn't platformed the way that, you know, the perpetrator is. It just seems really, well, really lopsided. And
0: a lot of it too, I think, speaks from the culture of the church, which, uh, and again, we're speaking generally, not every church mm. is this way. need to make that disclaimer for sure. But I think it's Im- important to identify that the church primarily looks at the outward actions mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. wants to work on that. Mm-hmm. If you're a betrayed spouse or someone who's been abused, you didn't necessarily do anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, well, there's not really a, like... There's not this like three steps to you getting free from trauma or yeah. from your abuse. Mm-hmm. So it's also really difficult to understand if you mm-hmm. don't have any education on how to help that person mm-hmm. right. where it's like, well, we'll just help you stop acting out or stop abusing or mm-hmm. whatever, which is why we have so many organizations and programs across you know the world for that. So I yeah. think that it's just easier to see the action and be like, okay, that's where we work on. And then forget that even though someone didn't have a role in their own abuse or in their, you know, being betrayed, that they just as much need that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is good so far, heavy stuff, but really good. We're gonna keep going. Um, so uh, obviously, Pure Desire, we spend a lot of time helping people um, and a lot of this, I think, is cultural the, because pornography is so prevalent now. It You know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it would be kind of more of a different conversation. Still mm-hmm. brokenness, but now it's playing out. Pornography, do you think that pornography, especially with the over-sexualized and saturated culture we live in, um, do you think that that in your studies, have you seen that it is actually making the sexual abuse worse today?
2: Yeah, um, I. I guess I want to back up on the premise of the question, and as yeah. somebody who looks a lot at the ancient world and, and texts from the ancient world, I think that sometimes we see our position at this moment in history as particularly unique, and obviously like the internet and the and the ready availability of pornography – um, is something maybe unique to our current culture but whether or not the over sexualized nature of the culture is unique i i'm really reticent mm. to to say that that's true some of our you know early earliest archaeological findings um in the ancient world are like Little statuettes of naked women. I'm not sure what these huh. were used for. I I know a lot yeah. of scholars have theories, but something suggests to me in this archaeological finding that we are not unique in thinking about mm. you know the female body we're in certain terms. Totally, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Biolic symbols. Yeah, radar. I mean, you know, <laughs> you've got the writer, you you have Paul and. And um uh, First Corinthians like begging the people for some like restraint mm-hmm. in what they do with their bodies. And so um when I think about our current culture, I'm wondering if maybe we think about it as being and you know, here I am just going off the cuff and way out of my we like it, Go uh, for it. area of expertise. Yeah. So all the you know everybody can challenge this. I'm happy for that um but I think we may be coming at it from like an you know a post Victorian era where there was a lot of restraint on um on on sexual actions and and how we thought about sex and you know compared to that. Were over-sexualized. But I, I don't know if you look throughout mm-hmm. the history of the world, if this, if we are particularly unique, mm-hmm. um, the internet is unique. Yeah. So not necessarily like the, the content, yeah. but the quantity. Yeah. Yeah yeah
0: quantity in the medium yeah like because as even as i mean we wrote these questions but even even as i'm thinking through it even more like it's maybe the mode of me acting out sexually has changed Mm -hmm. to be maybe morally less bad Mm -hmm. because i'm not acting out with someone else i'm just by myself and so right
2: yeah i mean like if you want to look at if you if you're interested in thinking about sex, you can go back to ancient texts. You don't need to use the ah, internet. And, wow. um, Statuettes. Yeah. Statuettes. Right.
1: Well, it's interesting to think that this is not a modern problem, that this yeah. is as old as the you know the hearts of men and women that are broken and move towards things that are unhealthy for them, mm-hmm. it's always been there. And so maybe now it's a little more overt, but um, yeah. interesting that the problem is consistent through these cultures and also the response of silence, ignore it. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how sex is the taboo topic in the church, and we kind of yeah. talk about it like that's a new phenomenon. And yet here you're saying church fathers just skipped passages entirely yeah. on sexual content. It's like, well, maybe it's been the taboo topic for us mm-hmm. all along. And so we're, we're just continuing to see the uncomfortableness we have in our faith with what do we do with this stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you think about that, Juliana, what other things you know? And we're starting to maybe look more at okay, what do we do? Yeah. What are ways that churches and even individuals, in a sense, that we're perpetuating these problems that you've seen in the ancient texts?
2: Yeah. Um, and again, I'm I'm going a little bit. You guys probably have more experience with this, uh, with working in the church and in church leadership. I'm you know I'm just a good church attender. <laughs> so. Who has uh, more
0: education than (laughs) any of us sitting at this table, but okay, sure. Um,
2: But, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, I think that um, when I think about what we can learn, ways that we can move forward, um, I think listening is um, listening to survivors Listening to stories that we have to tell, listening to perpetrators, making sure these converse their space holding space mm-hmm. for these um, conversations is really important. I come from a, uh, a friend's background, a Quaker background, and they have this idea that silence is a ministry. And I think that maybe we can Offer that in our churches mm. as, as a ministry, silence space mm-hmm. for these conversations to start. Um, and I and I also, come being a friend. We believe in the Spirit and uh, Holy Spirit movements and guidance. I don't know where our listeners are. We on like the that, Holy Spirit. That, yeah. but uh, but I think that's these. Um, the issues that we're dealing with require an enormous amount of care and they're completely out of our ability. Like, you know, I can make toast in the morning, but I can't deal with people's history of, of abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, we're kind of, you know, limited in our capacity to deal with big issues as human beings. And, um, the spirit is an underutilized tool In the church. Mm. As somebody who's spending a lot of time, we value education and learning and what that can offer and getting the proper training. And I'm a big supporter of that. And I've spent a lot of my life pursuing that. And what I've learned in that pursuit is that this topic is entirely out of my ability to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to believe other people feel that, too. But it's not outside of the Holy Spirit's ability. Mm
0: -hmm. So really what you're saying then is that we're not giving space. So the way that we're perpetuating it potentially is not giving space for people to talk about it or to share or to ask Mm -hmm. questions. Um, And we're also, um, and I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're saying, but what I'm hearing is that maybe we're leaning too much on our own understanding and like natural or gifting or ability or whatever you want to use in order to um step in like okay well I'm not qualified therefore I can't help so totally. is that what you're saying and in the...
2: qualifications I don't want to say qualifications aren't important I think that we should be going to professionals yeah utilize professionals um but utilize professionals with humility and professionals should also have humility and that's where the holy spirit can really work I think is in recognizing the limitations. We're going to work our hardest and learn as much as we can and develop these professional capacities. And then we come to an end. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and, and no one, no one is, dis, is disqualified, though, from being able to, or no one is not qualified, maybe, uh, from being able to just listen. Oh, yeah. And, and listen to what, story, what people's stories are. And to help them understand that, you know, where they've thought of themselves on the spectrum of, you know, Doctor Jekyll to Mister Hyde, or I don't know, Bruce Banner to the Hulk. I just watched Avengers Endgame the other day yeah. <laughs> um, on <laughs> New Year's Eve. That's what I did. Yeah. And and I was so and I had I was, I didn't know this part. Of it. I was so impressed at at the Bruce Banner Hulk character. Yeah. That he was neither Bruce Banner nor was he the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And that that he was like in between. And, and I think maybe just in us being able to listen to people, help them understand that they're not this or they're this, mm. they're all of this yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. and, and that in all of that, they That'll also preach. have identity that isn't defined by this or this, that, that identity is in Christ and identity yeah. is this broad umbrella. This, yep. It's a lifelong narrative. Yeah. Um, but I think we're all qualified
0: to listen to yeah. that at least. It's good. You just found your new illustration for this weekend's sermon, <laughs> <laughs> there right? It's there go.
1: really good. Well, and it speaks to me how important it is that when we use professionals, that it's in conjunction with what's happening in our community. Because Mm. I think that's for maybe a lot of listeners, their response is, well, you need to go see a counselor. Or maybe they are currently seeing a counselor. And if that becomes our only connection though to care or to healing, it can perpetuate a sense of otherness for people. Yeah. That, that I'm an other, and now I need to go to this outside professional source to get help so that I might be qualified to come back and maybe rejoin the community. And I think a lot of people that have gone through, whether it's sexual abuse and violence against them, or whether they're the ones that have perpetuated it, or they're the addict, they feel like that other, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. when they're getting professional care, totally. yeah. because it's all kind of outside of community. And yep. so I think yep. we need to look at if, if we're the ones that are in some counseling, how do i also engage with my community and see that that's a part of my healing yeah or if we're the one that is a counselor or is sending people to counseling to say how is that a part of what we also do to include them in community care because i yeah. i think if it's only the professional it will continue that otherness yeah um that that it it can i mean I, again i mean obviously we're running a a ministry here full of counselors so we believe in counseling but we don't want to inadvertently just continue that sense that you're not a part of us, yeah. so how can we bridge that gap so that it's both professional care and the community we're in? yeah,
0: yeah, so um, switching it now, what can we do to push back against sexual abuse and and I'll be careful to say that it's not just women that mm-hmm. it's both men and women who've been abused. Um, what can we do to push back against that in our world and in the church?
2: yeah, I think um. Silences it can be a ministry when we're trying to create space, and it can also be an enemy when we're when we're perpetuating um, when we're perpetuating the sins of of sexual abuse. And so, I think getting some real clarity on when do I need to give space and when do I need to say, "Oh, this is out of line." Um, and being willing to stand beside um, survivors and and um...
3: that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I in that like the 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 silence in one part is healthy. Silence in one part is devastating. And to mm-hmm. say like as a community, maybe we will not be silent on this topic. Right. Uh, but I'll be silent if you need to talk to me you know, that kind of thing. Like we as a community will not be silent in ignoring sexual violence, whether perpetrator or victim. Uh, and we will provide at the very least an ear for you to say, Hey, like it's, it's like you're loved, you're welcomed. Uh, and we want to hear what you have to share. Um, there may be, there may be follow through with that. There may be reporting that happens, you know, there may be, like all there, there's there's consequences for these things yeah. you know and there, there's repercussion um but yeah that's awesome the, the the silence on both sides of that can
0: um play different roles
2: yeah there's a wisdom in knowing when to deploy mm-hmm. and uh when to
0: in any place in life that's a powerful
1: truth Well, and I think about the role that we can have to be a part of the solution. I mean, you think about the story of David and Bathsheba, his story really continued to play out in brokenness until a prophet Nathan came in and said, you are the man and what you've done is not right. And and you need to take some steps for for change here. Or thinking of several of the stories in Judges, you know, they're really encapsulated in the statement at the end of the book that says, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And and both those stories and many others speak to people that did what was right in their own eyes with no one to call them on it and no one in a loving, godly way to say, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing in our churches we've got to find a way to lovingly but firmly say, this isn't okay. But we can, mm-hmm. we can recognize that this might be a part of our growth in Christ, that we're dealing with this brokenness and messiness in our life. So it's that dual side of, on the one hand, being willing to stand up and say, it's not okay, and we're going we're gonna to deal with it. But on the other hand, say, and yet we love and care for you. And we're not just going to send you away and treat you like an other if you're yeah. someone that's stuck in this. We're both going to include you and say, stop it, <laughs> yeah. to kind of put those two phrases together, that that we want there to be health, but we also want it to happen in a loving, caring community that, that can handle seeing people move mm-hmm. in the right direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I would circle back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, You were talking about how you viewed scripture and you asked questions and you interrogated the text. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I mean, that's just what I'm ending on here is just, we need to do more of that in topics like this. We need to ask more questions. And I think that, um, I mean, we know this at Pure Desire, we get so many leaders and so many churches who just assume it's not our problem or... Um, we know enough to help or we're already helping enough or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, so I think that we need to ask more questions. And I think that, and you mentioned it as well, humility. There's got to be humility in that because the second I ask for help or ask questions or become inquisitive or interrogate, I'm admitting I don't have all the answers to that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Off topic, on topic, uh,
3: I, I've heard several people in different contexts talk about how whether it's a reconciliation of a neighborhood or reconciliation within races or reconciliation within religious beliefs, that the only way that that reconciliation can happen is if people are known. And the only way that people can be known is if their stories are shared. Uh, And I think about like the work of Jesus is in this reconciling redemptive manner uh, that it can't happen without people being known and people can't be known without sharing their story. And they're not going to share their story if they don't think that you care Mm -hmm. and like creating these safe places for people to be known, for people to be cared for, uh, for reconciliation to happen Um, like that. There's just a lot of really powerful stuff in that that can't happen if we're just sitting back saying nothing.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: I think two ways that come to mind to do that are, one, there is power in us sharing first. Us just saying, hey, here's my story, here's what's going in my life, and inviting people in, in vulnerability and authenticity, Mm -hmm. and then also creating that silent space where someone can then share and ask questions.
2: Yeah. One of the barriers to, I think, even once you create that silent space, one of the barriers that I see to people dealing with this is, is... is shame and judgment. And sometimes those two things go hand in hand. You feel shame because you are very aware of the judgment that is happening on the other side of that conversation and um, creating communities that, you know, people have that freedom to share. Like I, I think of the community that Bob and I are a part of and, and I'm, I'm very, um, it's a good space. I don't feel a lot of judgment in that space. And a lot of work has gone into, intentional work by leadership has gone into creating a safe space where people are able to share. Um, and that's that's heavy duty work.
0: Uh, this has been really good. Um, I, I don't, I, I would imagine this may sound weird, but thank you for, studying and pushing into this Um, and whether you know it I mean now we've got people listening to this who I mean you have you've helped put a voice to this topic for some of them Um, and so we appreciate the time and energy it took to to push in and to continue your studies and then your willingness just to meet with us today
2: yeah thank you for inviting me I really enjoyed the conversation
0: sweet And Bob, thanks for making the connection. Appreciate that. Yes. (laughs) So I think it's really um, important here to let people know that if sexual abuse is a part of your story, whether abuser or abused, um, Pure Desire really exists to help create health in uh, the area of sexuality and sexual brokenness. And so we have groups for both um, men and women who struggle with sexual addiction and maybe abuse is a part of your past um, or your story. And then we also have groups for those who have um, been betrayed uh, or have experienced abuse. And so please reach out wherever you're at on that journey. Just know that we're here to help um, and really help you create a roadmap for your healing. So just go to our website, puredesire.org and you can start your journey now. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, do it. It's free. Just subscribe. Um, we hope that this conversation has been helpful. If you could write a review, let us know your thoughts. That can help others find the podcast as well. And lastly, never stop being healthy.